My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We can go for months without back-to-back good days around here. Months where the market just guts and gaffs you. And then you get divine moments like this one, where the market rallied and rallied hard for a second day in a row. This time, the Dow gaining 272 points has to be jumping 0.83%, NASDAQ rising more subdued 0.69%. And you remember why you bothered with stocks in the first place. Moments like these usually come when so many people have given up that there's almost no one left to sell. Bull markets are built on the backs of skeptics who reluctantly turn positive. They become the tinder, the fuel for the next move higher. And that's where we are right now, confounding those who thought the Fed or the yield curve were the only things that mattered. The earnings season has revealed all these bearish strategists to be intellectually naked. Sell, sell, sell. Stuck in a rut devoid of rigor, about to be washed away by the positive tide. And I love it. The Bears know this. Bears are still going to have their day. Uh, and, and probably even Monday when we find out the denouement of the First Republic story. Uh, where that's, we kind of expect something is going to happen that's big this week. It may be tonight. And I think it's going to be seized by the FDIC. And you'll come in and the stock will be a zero. Although it might reopen next week at someone else's bank and put a new sign on the door if they can find a buyer. But I don't think there'll be a ton of negative pin action because the collapse of First Republic could mark the end of the mini banking crisis that started in March. The banks wouldn't even rally as the air is finally cleared. Some of them tried to rally today. Now the bears are still going to cling to the negative story. That's what they do for a living. They're going to try to scare you out of stocks as they did for so long. I think getting this entire saga behind us, though, will actually be very good for the market. Not bad. Hey, Tuesday, we get some big guns. In the morning, we hear from Pfizer, a stock with a terrible COVID hangover. I don't even know what they can say other than they're buying CGen for $43 billion. That's the old Seattle genetics. Yes, because we used to profile it all the time to build out an anti-cancer franchise. Pfizer needs it because the street thinks this company is a has-been now with the pandemics in the rearview mirror. I think it has a ton of good stuff in the pipeline. And as chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I wonder, when will Pfizer get behind Nurtech in a big way? That's the migraine one drug they got from BioEven. It's a life changer, and I don't think they're doing anything with it. Then we get results from three fantastic industries. These are uh, Cummins for engines, Eaton for a lot of different kinds of electrics, and Illinois Tool Work for a vast panoply of different industrial things. Now, we may think of them as old-fashioned metal benders. That's how the street does. But you know what? Now, these days, they're digitized and specialized. And I'll tell you, I think all three could have good stories to tell about their businesses, but they're also going to give you bad stories to tell about the business environment. After the close, we get earnings from three crucial positions for the travel trust. We get Ford, AMD, and Starbucks, three stocks that we cover closely for the CNBC Investing Club. Now, we're looking for an upside surprise from Ford, a middling story from AMD, and a steady-as-she-goes story from Starbucks, where we hope to hear from CEO Laxman Narasimhan, who frankly has been remarkably quiet since taking over. We need to hear from Laxman. We need to know his vision. We need to know where the company's going. He's got to meet the press and the analysts and tell us what the heck is happening. 
Uber reports, too, and I think it's going to be positive as the company's been through frantic about getting profitable. It could spur the stock higher. Wednesday, we start the day with two household names, CVS and Yum! Brands, the latter being the parent for KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. Now, I am concerned about CVS. That's another company with a terrible COVID hangover. Can't seem to get it behind them. But I think Yum! will give us another upside surprise. It's almost like clockwork with that earnings machine. Then that afternoon, we have the Big Bad Fed meeting, and and everybody's going to be worried about that. It's another woe-is-me situation. I can already hear the bare narrative, by the way. You mean they're going to tighten after the first Republic debacle? Are they crazy? Isn't that scary? No, no, they're not crazy. Let me, I'm going to let the bears in for a secret right now. When you're in this phase of the market, all you want is what's supposed to happen. No surprises. And that's what I think we'll get from the Fed. No surprises. I'm not being good here. We need Jay Powell to say he's been raising rates consistently, and that's what he'll keep going doing if the situation warrants. But otherwise, he's willing to wait a bit to see what the next rate hike does to the economy. I think Powell's about to win here. He's engineered a soft landing for everything but wages and rents, at least so far. I do see wage growth becoming anemic, although I expect rents to remain intractable, no fault of the feds. It's tough for home builders to borrow money now that the Silicon Valley Bank disaster has made the regionals, who really does most of the lending, afraid to lend. But hey, you can't get everything right on the way to a soft landing after a banking crisis. We just want the Fed to avoid a crash. We don't want an airline party, for heaven's sake. Thursday's got some incredibly interesting companies reporting in the morning. We hear from Kellogg, which is splitting itself up, and I think that's going to create a ton of value. You've got to watch that one. I actually would go further. I'd say I would get in ahead of the quarter because the packaged food plays are hot, hot, hot. More on that later. Then I like PG&E. That's the growth utility from California run by Patty Poppy. We've watched this one creep up and up as the market digests the divestiture of the shares owned by the Fire Victim Trust. That was the entity that re- received a large large ownership position, PG&E, as compensation for damages caused by the giant California wildfires. And it's slowly but surely selling off its position, which is why, as every bit it gets closer to finishing, the stock goes higher. Then, after the closed DoorDash reports, I expect for them to show a profit as they pivoted from the red to the black after the market got sick of money losing companies and stopped funding them. Ooh, critical and also controversial. We got Coinbase, the combative crypto exchange that's in a brutal battle with the SEC. Uh, Well, what constitutes a security? If Bitcoin, for example, is a security, the SEC could regulate it, something that Coinbase and its followers simply won't stand for. I predict fireworks as the company recently sued the SEC, trying to force it to rule the matter. Hey, maybe that's the dumbest thing I've ever darn seen, because if you're running a publicly traded company, don't antagonize the SEC. They're your regulator, for heaven's sake. What a nightmare. Then we have the most important quarter of the week, and that is from Apple. I believe Apple has a brand new story to tell. People aren't thinking about it enough. It's called sales in India. I believe India will soon reveal itself as the best market in the world, a whole country where everyone wants or has a 5G phone. And I predict that Apple will be the most popular phone among the wealthier masses within the next few years. When you have 1.4 billion people, young people too, you can have an awful lot of buyers. This is a new narrative that will help Apple get off the China treadmill that we're all so sick of. Other than that, this is not a particularly important quarter for these guys. As I said with the Fed, No surprise in this kind of tape is a good surprise. Finally, on Friday, we have two entertainment companies that I find as entertaining as what they produce. Warner Brothers Discovery and AMC. And I got to tell you, this is, without a doubt, 
These are two companies that are the most challenged companies when it comes to balance sheets. Now, I know you're probably bored by balance sheets, but that doesn't mean that these are going to be boring stocks or boring talks. David Zaslov of Warner Brothers and Adam Aaron of AMC are some of those. They're two of the most compelling CEOs out there. I have no idea how AMC can tell much of a growth story unless Super Mario is still going strong this weekend, maybe. But Warner Brothers, when Comcast reported yesterday, we didn't get that good a feel for the cord cutters. And when you cut the cord, you hurt this company's bottom line. I think uh, it'll be a big issue, as will advertising, because I keep hearing about more and more money leaving TV and going to the web. That said, Zaslav knows the debt must be paid down, and he's a seasoned enough CEO to make it happen. Bottom line, after the last couple days where we could rally on joyous earnings news, Next week, we're back to hearing to constantly about the Fed and how the Fed's going to bring us down, even as we have some very important quarters coming that I think, once again, will surprise to the upside. Smitty, North Carolina. Smitty. Jimmy Chill. The Chill's in the house. Long time original club member. Yes, the club rocks, man. We had some good ones this week. What's happening? Yes, sir. Jimmy, I spoke to you about three months ago regarding um, Constellation Brands. Uh, possibly walking away from canopy growth. And you said to me that you thought we would be fine because it was long term. Um, my question to you is I am getting crushed on canopy. Do you recommend that I buy down? To no, get no, I don't down? want you to buy down. But I will tell you that Chef Jeff, uh, Jeff Marks and I talked a lot today. Of course, he's my doppelganger in the, with Chapel Trust. And we don't like the way Constellation Brands trades. And we thought that maybe it is because everyone just says, why did they spend so much money on Canopy? They did do that. Uh, Canopy, I don't have a lot of faith in. I do have faith in Constellation Brands. It's a big position for the trust. They had a great quarter. Nobody seemed to care. I don't think that can last long. I think the stock's a buy. I need to go to Alexander in Georgia. Alexander. Mr. Kramer. It's Alexander. great to speak with you. Hey, well, thanks for your I, time and taking my call. I want to gauge your wisdom on a unique publicly traded company doing a roll-up in a fragmented industry. The company is Calmain Foods. What are your thoughts? Man, that thing is one firecracker. Every time I have looked at that stock, it is either up huge or down huge. I have to tell you, something worries me there. When I see an 18, when I see a that big a yield, it says to me that there's trouble ahead, but there hasn't been trouble behind. I'm going to stay away. Let's go to Sam in Colorado. Sam. Jim, how are you? Good, Sam. How about you? I am all right. Jim, my question is with regards to Johnson & Johnson's spin-out of their consumer health products division. Ten Um, views. There's only a handful of companies in the world that have a AAA credit rating. Uh, It's better than the U.S. government, as it stands today. One of those companies is Johnson & Johnson. And the chief reason for that AAA credit rating is because of the fact that the consumer health products division is what funds the pharmaceutical discovery unit. So my question is, is if Johnson & Johnson spins out the consumer health products division, will that affect their stability and their credit rating moving forward? Boy, damn. That, Sam, that is a great question. Now, J&J has assured me that I should not worry about that, but I, too, have been worried because I love that steady Eddie business. Now, that business has occupied a huge amount of time with the CEO. Therefore, they do think it's one to spin off and people are going to like it. That group is starting to get better. The consumer package good socks are hot. That said, I'm not as worried just because what I care about is getting these talc cases behind them. And if that happens, this stock goes to 180 in a heartbeat. Despite the positive steps we took this week, we have to stay focused on the Fed because the bears are going to keep us concentrated on that. 
And then we also have an onslaught of earnings. Don't forget, Apple is next week. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, fresh off earnings, I'm digging into the state of automation with a real red-hot stock, and that is Rockwell Automation and their top brass. Then there's been a lot of headlines out there about the lithium space recently. You keep asking about them. You know what? I got a real change of heart coming here. And... You called in and asked about a stock that I find a bit intriguing that is hot, hot, hot. So I'm turning my homework on the mystery name to see if it could be an under-the-radar way to play the robotic space. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. If we learned anything during the pandemic, it's that globalization is not a panacea. If anything, it'd be a liability. We had so many supply chain disruptions in the last couple of years. They were out of control, resulting in shortages and higher prices for all sorts of stuff. But there might be this kind of silver lining, a positive outcome, because rather than offshoring, many companies are now reshoring, moving their manufacturing back to the United States because a sprawling worldwide supply chain seems too risky. So how can American manufacturers compete with countries that have much lower labor costs? Simple automation. Which brings me to Rockwell Automation, a leading player in the industrial automation space that turned in an excellent quarter yesterday morning. 27% organic growth. Wall Street was only looking for 18%. The company also raised its full-year forecast, which is why the stock jumped justifiably, I think, nearly 5% yesterday. That said, you know, it's still down roughly 20% from its late highs in 2021. So it could have more room to run. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Blake Barrett. He's the chairman and CEO of Rockwell Automation. Get a better read on the quarter. What comes next? Mr. Barrett, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be back, Jim. Well, I got to tell you, Blake, I was reading your uh, eighth annual state of uh, smart manufacturing, and it's incredible. There are companies suddenly who have discovered, listen, we got to get into AI, got to get into machine learning. I have to tell you, I was thinking of you because I said, what other company could you call in this country that would actually know how to use that technology to reshore, to make make, uh, uh, new plants? So what have they been saying to you? Because I don't know if they know what AI and, and machine learning can really do for them. Well, there's a there's a profound opportunity to increase the efficiency and the throughput and the speed in plants across all the different types of manufacturing in the U.S. And everything from just connecting the existing machinery to applying artificial intelligence so that the machines can actually improve in their performance over time to be more fault tolerant. There's just a world of opportunity that's out there. Well, can we then stop talking about how expensive it is to make things here and inexpensive over there? Because to me, if we bring you in, we get things automated from the get-go, I can't see how it can be that much more expensive to make things here than it can be in Taiwan or China. Jim, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Rockwell does a lot of our manufacturing right in the U.S., uh, and we think the winning hand is basically the application of the advanced technology with an engaged and an enabled workforce. And those two things together, you know, can take on all comers. It seems like also looking at the spike in organic growth you have in Europe, that they figured out that they got to bring in Rockwell, too. Now, I know you guys have always been the premier company in our country. I thought it was really a feather in your cap. Europe has discovered that they need you very much. 
we've been happy with the gains in Europe and um, you know a lot of those machine builders are exporting their equipment all over the world uh, including back to the US but we're growing in Europe through organic and inorganic means uh, through some of our recent acquisitions well, I, I also think people have to understand it's not just autos, which you use at nine billion dollars with orders. But there was a food and beverage order that you got that was gigantic. They need to be automated, too. Yeah, we uh, we are very proud of what we do to do in uh, food and beverage. It's our single largest vertical market. And this last quarter, we had a really nice win at Anheuser-Busch InBev that's using our Plex software to help uh, their Evergreen business be more efficient and get their product to market faster. Well, uh, when I look at that, if you could just explain more. I mean, when we look at these pictures of these factories that are, are whether they're making cookies, whether they're making uh, beer, whether they're ma- making soda, it is just seems like there's only a few people in the factory just making sure that the machines work. Uh, what do you do? What did you do in those factories that make it so that they work so smoothly? Well, it's really uh, if you think about uh, uh, us as the conductor, of the symphony in a factory, whether it's making cars or packaging food or uh, helping with uh, new forms of energy. It's really bringing all the various pieces of equipment together and having them work in concert uh, to be able to maximize the output and to be able to have the flexibility to produce a lot of different products. You know, that's really the name of the game in the consumer packaged goods industry is to be able to customize the products to be able to reduce to almost zero the setup time as you run one SKU to the next. Well, that's what we need to be able to stay competitive. Now, speaking of competitive, we've had this CHIPS Act. I suspect that you will play a major role. And one of the things I think you can talk about to us when people just try to graphically figure out in their minds what you'll do, independent cart technology. This is not wheelbarrows. This is something more sophisticated than wheelbarrows, sir. It is. Uh, independent cart technology has proven to be one of our fastest growing product lines, not just for semiconductor, but for food packaging and uh, uh, for uh, uh, packaging medicines and things like that, automotive for assembling batteries. But specifically, uh, the use of independent cart technology has really started to take off in wafer transport within the fab. So when you start with the basic wafer, that's kind of the building block for creating semiconductor chips to be able to increase the efficiency in those fabs to reduce the amount of time that material is manually carted from one place to the other. Independent cart technology is very helpful and we have a solution that's second to none. All right, and just to go to the financials, I saw this free cash flow explosion. And I thought that that may have been what's driving. We can drive the stock a lot more. But yesterday, if you just describe to people that there are some people, there are some people who are telling me, Jim, you're too high on these guys. They don't have a lot. They don't generate a lot of free cash. That's no longer the case. It was never. You always made a lot of money. But this free cash flow number was really a big step function for you. We made good progress in the quarter, and it's on our way to 95 percent free cash flow conversion for the year, which we think is a good number. Well, I think it's going to be excellent and still makes makes to me think that your stock's got a lot more room to run. Uh, certainly back to you look back 20 percent. You're still down 20 percent from the highs. I don't understand that. You've got the best book of business I've ever seen you have. Look, um, we're uh, we're going to focus on the results. So uh, we've got uh, lots of room to add additional value for customers with our new 
and our existing solutions. So I'm looking forward to the year ahead. Well, so am I. I want to thank Blake Moretti, the chairman and CEO of Rockwell Automation, which we have liked for a great deal of time. And we'll only get better when the Chips Act really kicks in. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, its uses are legion. What can lithium stocks offer you? Find out next. For the first time in a long time, we need to talk about the lithium stocks. This is a group that caught fire in 2020 and 2021 because you need tons of lithium to make the batteries in electrical vehicles. But they largely collapsed when the Fed declared war on inflation. However, the straightforward lithium producers kept rallying well into last year because there was a severe shortage of the actual commodity. Anyone who was on a Tesla call always knew that Elon Musk was bemoaning the shortage. Not anymore. About 11 months ago, I recommended a couple of them, Albemarle and Livent. There's, I said it was a short-term trade. I was warning you that they were eventually going to pull back and pull back hard as more supply came online. Albemarle is a fantastic diversified specialty chemical play that gets the plurality of its sales from lithium. Levent's the uh, lithium producer spun off by FMC Corp back in 2018, right as the previous lithium boom went bust. I told you I liked them both, but only for a few months. And that was because I feared that the whole group would fall apart, and it did. Yeah, that's exactly how things played out. While lithium prices held up pretty well through late last year, they've utterly collapsed in the last few months. Last November, lithium was selling for more than $80,000 per metric ton. Now it's closer to the 20 to 20, 20 to 30,000 range. I mean, that's unbelievable, more than cut in half. Not to all the stocks that touch the stuff have been clobbered, too. Abmar's down nearly 45% from last November's highs. Levent's down 40% from its peak in September. Sociedad Chimica, which is the Chilean lithium company, is down 42% from its highs set last May. I didn't recommend that one a year ago because the current left-leaning political environment in Latin America simply isn't great for natural resource companies. So why has the price of lithium been more than cut in half? Some of it's because of new supply hitting the market. But more recently, a lot of it relates to lower expectations for EVs. Don't get me wrong, electrics are the future. No denying that. However, in the past couple of months, it's become clear that we need to dial back our expectations for electric vehicle sales going forward. This is one of the greatest themes of the era, so we've got to be really careful here. We've seen now multiple rounds of price cuts from Tesla, which is not what you do when you're incredibly confident about strong demand. Well, I think this is a smart move from Tesla because they might be able to knock some of their smaller competitors out of the business. It's definitely not a bullish sign for the industry. Plus, look at the numbers. In January, 672,000 electric vehicles were sold worldwide. That's only up 3% year over year. And it's roughly half the unit sales we were seeing in December. Why? Well, some major subsidies expired in both China and Europe. Meanwhile, here in America, most of available electric uh, cars are still pretty expensive at a time when the consumers increasingly stretch. Well, auto loans keep getting more and more expensive thanks to higher interest rates and tighter credit to regional banks who offer them. Just yesterday, uh, Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas published a note, the prolif- the, I should call him the prolific Adam Jonas, published a note uh, that with some checks on U.S. auto dealers, Ford and Toyota dealers specifically. One of the conclusions was that I'm going to quote here, non-Tesla EV sales are turning slower, end quote. He goes on to point out that EV and inventories are rising faster than internal combustion engine inventory at many dealers. I found that shocking. It was always a shortage of EVs and we were too many and had too many ice, as they call internal combustion engines in the business. With the the rest of the industry taking a hit from Tesla's price cuts and slowing economic growth, that's not good for the lithium business. 
We had another major development in the lithium space a week ago that made us want to go do this refresher tonight. And that was when Chile announced a new lithium policy that requires the Chilean government to have a major stake, the majority stake, in all new contracts. I told you not to invest in Chilean materials companies when the president of Chile is a, he's a big fan of Salvador Allende. Now, while Allende didn't deserve to be overthrown and uh, I thought was a very intelligent, middle-of-the-road man that some people reviewed to be far left, I can tell you he was not anything but business-friendly. Of course, Chile's new policy won't go into effect until the existing contracts expire. For Sociedad, Chimica, and Albemarle, that's not till 2030 and 2043, respectively. A lot of people breathe a sigh of relief. That's not great. Some analysts try to argue that this announcement was actually a positive for the lithium producers, particularly Chimica. But nobody was buying it, and the stock plummeted nearly 19% last Friday. In response to that, with Albemarle down 10%. If Chile's grand gradual nationalization of the lithium business is good for anybody, it's the producers that operate in every other country on Earth that might find less competition down the road because state-owned enterprises, as we all know, tend to be highly inefficient. After last week's lithium wipeout, though, we figured it was worth taking a fresh look at the industry. You know what? What we found is still gruesome with slowing electric vehicle sales leading to a sharp decline in lithium prices, thus the lithium stocks. But guess what? This recent weakness actually has me wondering if it might not be a good time to start. I don't... I mean it. Buy, buy, buy. Buying the lithium place. Well, I acknowledge that the near-term future uh, electric vehicle business is uh, getting worse than it did guys a couple of months ago. I don't think anything's really changed for the long term. Look, we're going to keep seeing a gradual shift from internal combustion vehicles to electric. You and I know that. As long as that theme is alive, the lithium producers should be long-term winners. And now you're getting a chance to buy them at much lower prices. And I don't see anything replacing lithium anytime soon. Of my two favorite plays in the space, Abmire now trades at an incredibly low seven times this year's earnings. And Levent, it's just uh, over 11 times earnings. Both companies should still have up years in 2023, although Albemarle is expected to have a slight down year in 2024, but I don't know if that estimate's right. Still, this stock is the cheapest it's been at any time in the past decade. For the past 10 years, Albemarle's average valuation has been closer to 22 times earnings. Now, I still can't recommend Sociedad Chimica, and you might think that's Quimica, it's Q-U-I-M-I-C-A, but they pronounce it Chimica in Chile. That's the other big lithium producer uh, after what happened with the Chilean government last week. Sure, the new rules won't take effect for the better part of a decade, but the Chilean government is actively now hostile to the lithium industry. Now, two of the smaller plays here that you ask about a ton, which are Lithium Americas and Piedmont Lithium, they feel, you know, kind of more compelling to me than they did a year ago because they finally expected to turn a profit this year. You got my blessing to buy them for speculation. I can't believe I just recommended Piedmont on this show. Uh, although I prefer the two majors, Admiral Levin. In the end, lithium is a boom and bust industry. When you're dealing with that kind of situation, you don't want to chase these stocks after a big rally. And that's what I told you a year ago. You want to wait for a sickening decline, then use that as a buying opportunity for the next upcycle, even if it takes a while to get going. So here's the bottom line. If you believe, as I do, that electric vehicles will keep growing, ultimately, even if they seem to have slowed for now. And I think the weakness in the lithium place uh, will ultimately look like a buying opportunity. Just don't buy them all at once because we don't know when they will actually bottom. So leave a little room to buy more on the way down. But this is a radical change for me, okay? I am now in favor of buying Albemarle. Let's go to Rod in Tennessee. Rod. Good afternoon, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome, Rod. What's Last up? Last year... Last year, I bought this stock at $31, and it briefly went higher, but now it's gone lower and was recently downgraded, and I wanted to know if I should buy it 
more more of it down in the low twenties, hold it or sell it. I'm talking about MP materials. Well, you know, MP materials has been hurt by the slowdown in EVs. I mean, people were great at, people were trading MP as if it were Tesla. And it's not. Now, it is profitable, but I have to tell you, uh, it was initially a SPAC. Now people are once again talking about how it was always a SPAC. And that means I think it could go lower. It's, it's uh, only down 10% year to date. Uh, I think it can go lower still. $3.8 billion market cap, that's just too high. It's because of EVs, though, not anything at MP, which is a very well-run company. How about Lou in Pennsylvania? Lou. How you doing, Jim? Booyah. Booyah, Lou. What's going on? So I have a balanced portfolio. I'm looking at something a little more speculative. I want to know what you think about Lucid Motors, ticker symbol LC. I'm going to have to be against it. I think that in the end, uh, what's changed for me since November of last year is I don't recommend companies that are losing money. And that's kept our viewers uh, more in the black than in the red. And I'm going to stick by my view. We don't know when the bottom will be in the lithium place. But I think you're getting a pretty good opportunity to buy some of them right now. I like this album art. Then much more mad money at You called in and stumped me on a company called Symbotic. And after pulling back today, are investors getting a nice entry point into that stock? Or should they be worried about Monday's earnings? I'm going to turn to my homework. Then the snack food stocks have been running, but is it too late to take a bite of the cohort? I'll give you my take. It's going to surprise you. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. You know me. I'm on a mission to keep you interested in everything you see around us, the stock market. Because being a good investor requires a lot of homework. And it's hard to do that research once the excitement fades away, isn't it? That's why I don't just tell you about the stocks I'm enthusiastic about. I take questions about the ones you're enthusiastic about. But every now and then, I can't come up with a good answer, either because it's a stock I've never heard of or it's one that I've lost track of. Whenever that happens, I promise to come back to you with a more considered response if you're doing the work. These homework items are piling up, so it's time for some spring cleaning. Back on April 17th, a fellow by the name of Billy in Texas called about Symbotic, S-Y-M for all you home gamers. That's an automation place, specifically robotic systems for the supply chain, kind of like Rockwell Automation. This stock, though, is hot, hot, hot. Do you think Meta Platforms is having a good year up just under 100% after yesterday's magnificent run? You think NVIDIA is on fire up 94%? Well, they got nothing on Symbotic, which has surged 122% year to date because it's considered, yes, an artificial intelligence play. And of course, everything that's AI has been roaring. You can't close AI. You can't stop it. It just keeps going and going and going. So what does Symbotic actually do? These guys make end-to-end technology solutions designed to improve supply chain operations. Hey, how about we do some English here? They help automate the processing of pallets and cases in large warehouses or distribution centers. Symbotic lets companies save on labor with high-speed, fully autonomous mobile robots. They go about 25 miles an hour, and they're controlled by the company's proprietary AI system, and that's where the real uh, revenue comes from. Now, Symbotic systems vary in size and price. They can be as small as a football field, serving 25 or more stores, and they can scale to meet the needs of the world's largest retailers, which is good because Symbotic counts among some of the world's largest retailers as customers. Think Walmart, Target, 
and Albertsons, among others. In fact, Walmart's really a particularly huge customer to the point where it's accounted for 94%, 94% of Symbiotic's sales last year and more than half of its contracted backlog as of last September. Now, you know what? It's funny. Everybody wants Walmart as a client, right? But to me, when you have that, con- that kind of concentration, it's a major red flag. Rather than an, an independent company, this thing kind of feels like an appendage of Walmart. And Walmart can cut off any appendage at once. They also own a large amount of warrants and symbiotics, so maybe you'll feel more comfortable because of that. When you get more than 90% of your business from a single customer, though, you can't possibly be in control of your own destiny, and that worries me. On the other hand, though, when you look at the numbers, they are impressive. In 2022, fiscal year, Symbiotic posted 136% revenue growth, even as it's losing money and had $166 million in negative free cash flow. I don't like that. This year, the analysts are looking for 65% revenue growth, and while the earnings should still be in the red, the free cash flow is expected to turn positive. That'd be an important milestone. That would be something that really, I think, turned a lot of heads. If you can trust the analyst estimates, the financials should improve dramatically over the following couple of years. According to consensus estimates, Symbotic is on track to do $1.55 billion in revenues just next year. That's up from less than a billion this year, with that figure growing to $2.2 billion in 2025. Their earnings are supposed to turn positive in 2024, big uptick in 2025. Assuming Walmart doesn't pull the rug out from under them, it, it, this all sounds pretty plausible. Now, when Symbotic reported its most recent quarter at the end of January, they racked up 168% revenue growth, and their free cash flow already turned positive. And that's Wall Street figured it would be negative. They certainly weren't seeing any kind of slowdown. I told you, though, remember, hot, hot, hot. Of course, that was almost three months ago. Symbiotic reports again on Monday after the close. And given how much the stock's rallied of late, it's coming in pretty hot. So I definitely don't recommend trying to buy this one ahead of the quarter, because even a great quarter might not be enough to impress the shareholder base. When a stock more than doubles in less than four months, there's a decent chance the expectations have gotten out of control. That's why I really, really do not like the risk-reward here, at least not before the quarter. I think it's just fool's game. And honestly, it might not be much better after the quarter unless the numbers are out of this world. My overall conclusion on Symbotic is that it's got a terrific story, and I'm very much a believer in its long-term financial trajectory. But I also don't want to chase the stock after the incredible run it has had. It's just gone up too much over the past six-odd months. Keep in mind, Symbotic came public via a SPAC merger in June of last year, one of the last big SPAC deals to go through. And while the stock initially popped to $20 last summer, it couldn't hold on to those gains. Makes sense. This is a textbook unprofitable growth stock, and that whole cohort, we know, was despised for most of last year, especially if there was a SPAC connection. Symbiotic ultimately bottomed at $8.75 per share last November, but that's when the whole growth edifice turned around. As we started feeling a little more confident the Fed was nearing the end of its rate hike cycle, though it turned up a little premature. Since its lows, the stock has surged all the way to $32 and change at its highs earlier this week. Let's pull back to just under $27. So this stock is incredibly volatile. At these levels, I just don't want to take the chance. If Symbiotic pulls back more substantially from here, I'd love to circle back to it, but up here it feels a little too risky. I'm nervous about the quarter on Monday night, not for any particular reason, but just because the expectations are so high. Plus, they are totally hostage to Walmart, as I mentioned. That is by far the largest customer. Although Walmart says as an investor so that you might offer you some protection, but let's, no, too risky. If you want an alternative that's not as risky, I would suggest GXO Logistics, okay? 
Bori runs warehouses and distribution centers. This is a company that was spun off by XPO Logistics. GXO doesn't have an artificial intelligence kicker, but it's a profitable company. It sells for less than 20 times next year's earnings estimates. If you want something more technology-oriented, I'm going to give you Honeywell. What a great quarter they just reported. This one's got some exposure to this type of business through its Intelligrated division, although it, it, uh, obviously Honeywell is the furthest thing from being a pure plant warehouse automation. That said, I like many of Honeywell's other divisions, too, especially commercial aerospace, which is why we own this one for the Chapel Trust. Doesn't hurt that they just reported an excellent quarter just yesterday. Here's the bottom line. Symbotic has a cool product. AI-driven robots feels like a great fit for this particular market that loves AI, but the stocks run so much that I feel like we're late to the party. I say let's wait to hear what they say on Monday and hope we get a major pullback, because otherwise, this one just feels too darn risky for me. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with John in North Carolina. John. Booyah, Jim. Good what booyah you to you. with Enphase Energy? Well, you know what? This, what Enphase said this week was that there's no growth in the United States market in terms of the financing problems. Don't forget also we have net gas so low. Uh, I think the stock has come down a lot, but not enough, believe it or not, because it had been a up stock for a very long time. Let's go to Jerry in Missouri. Jerry. Hey, Tim. I want to thank you, Jeff, and your staff for all you do for us club members. Oh, thank you. The club, we had some good ones this week. I want everyone to join the club. We got a lot of special stuff coming. What's going on? Well, I want to know what it's going to take to get Snowflake to finally break out. Okay, it's going to take a huge earnings, not revenue surprise, but earnings surprise. And Frank Slootman is not trying to generate that surprise. He's trying to get as much business as possible. So you just have to just say, you know what? It's not ready yet by little, but wait for the earnings breakout. Then you're going to get more. Let's go to Michael in Virginia. Michael. Hey, we are Kramer. How's it going, buddy? Not bad. How about you? (laughs) I'm doing all right. Hey, yeah. I wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on the uh, ticker symbol IQ. Um, you're supposedly uh, Netflix uh, equivalent of uh, uh, what China's Netflix. Of China, it is. China. Now, I mean, we have all these things that something equivalent of in China. I'm not recommending any Chinese stock. And if you put a gun to my head, I said, please take away the gun. <laughs> Let's go to Dave in Rhode Island. Dave. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. I got it on my Mezcal class. It says Jimmy Chill. Jimmy Chill's Mezcal. I think it says. It says that. All right, go ahead. Oh, man, I want to try some of that. Um, Jimmy, I've, I've been waiting for CrowdStrike to fall below uh, 125, and it did, and I pulled the trigger. Was was that a good buy? Yeah, that's fine. Look, look, the market now has fallen back in love with the old major stocks. That's meant that CrowdStrike gets sold. For others, I've seen it over and over again. The stock was also hit because Cloudflare uh, did not do the numbers, and Cloudflare often has thought of as a as a cybersecurity play too. But no, I think George is going to deliver. I'm not worried about CrowdStrike; just worried about what's known as multiple compression. Let's go to Surge in Massachusetts. Surge. 
Good evening, Kramer. My How are you, Fred. man? I'm calling from Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, what's going on? My questions are about the PPT. I have a stock for about the six months, and I want to know, should I sell it? And yeah, I would sell it. I would sell it because you got a chance to buy one of the premier oil and gas companies there is, Pioneer Natural Resources that are only 217. We just heard from Scott Sheffield, another, look, another Chapel Trust name that we follow in CBC, uh, it's CBC Investing Club, also is Cotera. They report next week. I think they're going to have a good quarter. Let's go to Tushar in New Jersey. Tushar. Thank you, sir, Jim. We are. I have a to talk about RSKD and if possible the blue. Is it a good time to buy for the future, the growth stock? I'm sorry, I missed that stock. RSKD, risky five. Oh, RSKD, no, uh, Israeli coming. Um, uh, you know what? They're not making money, and I'm not recommending any stocks that aren't making money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I always tell you there's no coulda, woulda, shoulda in this business, but it still gets me angry when I see a high-quality stock roaring after a great quarter, and we don't own it for the Chattel Trust. That's how I felt today as I watched Mondelez and Colgate rally after some very good reports. Now, beating yourself up not owning every stock in a red-hot group like the consumer packaged goods industry is right now is a totally self-defeating attitude. See, we own Procter & Gamble for the trust, and it's been a real horse. So why kick yourself over not owning the very similar Colgate? At the end of the day, we run a diversified portfolio around here, and we preach that you can't own them all because when one goes down, they're all going to go down. That's why you can only have so much exposure to any given industry, even though it hurts on days when they all go up, like today. Still, let's talk about the future, not the past. Can these food and consumer packaged goods stocks keep running? I know they're all household names. My answer is yes, unless we get some sort of exogenous news that drags down the entire market. Fortunately for this group, you may get a chance to buy them lower. Now, if you listen to politicians, as I do, who come on Squawk Box in the morning, you certainly believe that it might be very difficult to reach a debt ceiling deal, even as members of both parties always tell us after they attack each other not to worry. Call me worried. At least enough worry that it will come down to the 11th hour and the market will not like that kind of uncertainty. The two parties hate each other. They hate each other more than I've ever seen, frankly, which means you can expect plenty of drama. So as the debt ceiling talks flounder, I think this group, the packaged goods stocks, are the ones you want to buy. You definitely want to buy at least one of these, a cereal company, a snack company, a dog food, whatever, because they've been through this crisis before, not even that long ago, in 2011, we had a huge swoon to the market when it looked like the government would run out of money. While the Democrats in the White House ultimately cut a deal with Republicans in Congress, the S&P 500 fell 19% peak to trough for the compromise. And the S&P even downgraded our government's debt. Oh, that was an ugly day. If that happens again, you, you will get your chance to buy Mondelez and Colgate. Throw in Hershey and General Mills and Procter & Gamble, too. Why these? Because they've proven to be remarkably inelastic. As we told investing club members this week, people always take comfort in their favorite brands. Brands like Oreos or Colgate, Hershey bars, Campbell's Soup. We learned that during the COVID era and it's continued into this uncertain time. People aren't abandoning these brands despite gigantic price hikes put through because of COVID-generated shortages of all sorts of businesses. It's really pretty incredible. 
And it's defied many of the analysts who thought consumers would balk. They haven't, which is fabulous for the stocks because the analysts got it wrong. The pandemic wreaked havoc on the production of all sorts of packaged goods. Supply chains were ripped asunder. Materials soared in prices, especially paper and plastic for packaging. These companies all got crushed on costs, so they started putting through the price increases after price increases that you saw at the supermarket. And the amazing thing, there's been almost no resistance from the consumer. They love their brands during COVID. They trust those brands now. They're going to love them in the future, even after the prices have gone up so much. It's amazing. What makes these stocks incredibly compelling right now is that the high prices, I believe, are here to stay. But their costs, what it takes to produce what you buy at the supermarket, are finally coming down. Supply chain woes have been solved. Freight costs have collapsed. But they're certainly not passing on those savings to their consumer base, are they? I mean, these businesses are businesses. They're not charities. Have you seen any prices come down? I haven't. Next to fall will be the raw costs, which are already down huge in this, what's known as the spot market. Paper, line of work, plastic. Problem is most packaged goods companies buy these materials by contract each year, so they haven't seen much savings so far. But when they sign the new contracts, when the new contracts, they're all the prices are rolling over, they'll be paying a lot less than they did before. This quarter, we saw that the price increases have more than covered these companies' costs. Going forward, we'll see what happens when the costs get rolled back while the final prices stay just as high. There'll be incredible margin expansion. They'll make much more money per candy bar, leading to tremendous earnings growth. That's why even even as these consumer packaged goods stocks have run a great deal, I don't think it's too late. I think they can continue to beat and raise numbers for some time to come. And that is indeed the holy grail for professional money managers. They can't resist this kind of setup. These stocks are perfect buys for when everyone runs from the market because of its coming debt ceiling debacle. So get ready. Pick your fave of these. I'm going with Procter. And let's try to profit from the federal carnage. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll have it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.